Welcome to Ghostwriters Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know, if you were the tooth fairy, what would you do with your collected teeth? I would grind mine into powder and sell them to witches who need some sort of innocence of child spell work done. So today we're going to celebrate with a little birthday party. A couple birthday parties, really. I've got two things that I want to delve into. One is a childhood book from 1976, copyright. Another one is going to be a teaser for a book club episode. But I want to start with Sloth's birthday party. It's light, it's easy, it's a children's book by Diane Redfield Massey. And it's one that I would get at the library often as a kid. And I think I was really drawn to it because... Sloths really weren't a fad when I was a kid, and so a book about a sloth was unique, and I think that's what drew me the most. Sloth's house was a terrible mess. It sat in the kapok tree. I like a house that looks lived in, said Sloth. How else can one be comfortable? He moved the jelly jars over on his wash tub and rested his big furry feet. Sloth, called Toucan outside his window. We're all going to Rat's house for supper. "'Rats?' said Sloth. "'Rat's house is too small.' "'It's a garden supper,' said Toucan. "'We aren't going inside.' Sloth looked out his window. "'What if it rains?' he said. "'If it rains,' says Toucan, "'we'll go over to Armadilla's instead.' She flapped her wings and flew down to Rat's front yard. "'No one ever comes to my house,' said Sloth. He leaned on his windowsill and stared at Rat's garden. "'Are you coming?' called Rat." Of course I'm coming, said Sloth. A jelly jar fell out his window and landed in the vines. It's not right, said Sloth to himself. He rocked back and forth in his broken rocking chair. I go to their houses. They should come to my house, too. He looked at the calendar hanging from his clock. My birthday's coming up, he said, tapping his claws together. I'll invite them all to my birthday party. They're sure to come then. He smiled and yawned and settled back in his chair to sleep. By supper time, the sky was dark. Raindrops rattled over the leaves and bounced like beads to the ground. It's raining, drat it, said Rat, looking out her window. And I've got the chairs out and everything. She hurried about, shutting her windows. Armadillo ran through the grass. We better go to my house, he called from the yard, where we can be inside. What? said Sloth, waking up from his nap. Is it supper time already? It's raining, called Toucan. She flew past Sloth's door and landed in the garden. We're going to Armadillo's after all, she said. Sloth looked out his window. He waved to his friends below. Why don't you all come to my house, he called. In a minute, I'll have a fire going in the stove. It's nice to be inside in a storm. But Sloth, said Rat. And my house is closer, said Sloth. He shut his window and hurried back to light the fire. What shall we do, asked Rat. Armadillo shook his shiny back. Water ran down in little streams. Well, he said, we are closer to his house, I suppose. They climbed slowly up the slats that led to Sloth's front porch. Come in, said Sloth, flinging open his door. It fell off its hinges and lay by the step. What a nice night for a supper party, said Sloth, inside a cozy, comfortable, lived-in house. It was nice of you to have us, said Armadillo, looking about. Where shall we sit? You'll find the chairs somewhere, said Sloth. They're underneath other things. Oh, said Rat, lifting a sheet off a box. Not that, said Sloth. That's the refrigerator. 
He pulled down a pan hanging from his clothesline and hurried back to his stove. Armadillo sat on an old rush chair. The seat was frayed and thin. I'll have soup ready in a moment, said Sloth. I always have soup ready for occasions. Toucan stared at the holes in the roof. The rain was coming through. It's the same soup every time, said Sloth, but somehow it always tastes different. Sometimes it tastes stronger than at other times, depending on what's fallen in. Fallen in? said Rat. You know, said Sloth, sometimes things get into soup you hadn't planned on. Pitta-patta, pitta-patta, pitta-patta. Everyone listened to the rain overhead. Plink, plunk, plink, plunk, 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 plink, plunk. Dishes and pans lay around the room, catching the falling water. This roof is like a sieve, said Toucan. Raindrops splashed on her bill. More like a colander, said Sloth. There are lots of dry spots. Plink, plunk, plink, plunk, 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 plink, plunk, splash, sizzle, splash, sizzle, splash, sizzle. Drat it, said Sloth. Just our luck. There's a leak over the stove. What does that mean, said Armadillo, squirming in his chair? It means, said Sloth, that the fire has gone out and our soup will be lukewarm. Lukewarm is better than cold said Rat, hopefully. Sloth brought out two bowls and two jelly jars. He set them on top of the wash tub. The jelly jars hold more, he said, but they don't look as nice as the bowls. He poured the soup around. I don't have soup spoons either, he added. In fact, I only have one big serving spoon. That's all right, said Toucan. We'll drink our soup. She raised a jelly jar to her bill and swallowed. Well, said Sloth, how was it? Lukewarm, said Toucan. Was it good? asked Rat. I'm not saying, whispered Toucan. Rat and Armadillo sipped their soup. Tastes like water, whispered Rat. Looks like swamp, said Armadillo. Unfortunately, said Sloth, draining his jelly jar, the rain has gotten into it. It's never as good when it rains. Help! Help! Armadillo, said Sloth. What have you done to my chair? What have I done, said Armadillo crossly. What has it done to me? His shell is stuck, said Rat, pushing on the chair. It won't budge. I can't go home like this, yelled Armadillo. Sloth will have to chop it off. Chop my best chair, said Sloth. Splash! Water poured down on their heads from above. The roof's giving way, yelled Toucan. Help, shrieked the others. No, it isn't, said Sloth. It's just a big hole. And look at the soup, he shouted. It's filled to the top with water. I'm going home, said Rat, shaking water from her whiskers. So am I, said Toucan. Thank you, Sloth, for the soup and all. It was a lovely party, said Rat, except for the rain. Lovely, said Toucan. She made swimming motions with her wings and hurried out the door. Wait for me, shouted Armadillo, crawling after them. You can't get down like that, said Sloth. Armadillo stumbled on a pan. He fell against the stove. The legs and back fell off the chair and the seat cracked down the middle. Goodbye, said Armadillo, waving both arms. He climbed after Rat down the slats on the tree to the bottom. Sloth watched them disappear in the darkness. They didn't like my house, he said. They'll never come to my birthday party. He sat sadly under his umbrella by the stove until the rain had stopped. By morning, the sun was up, warming the grass, the vines, and the trees. Sunshine sparkled on the leaves and the puddles were steaming. Sloth's house was damp. Sunshine came through the hole in his roof and warmed his soggy room. Sloth made his way slowly back and forth, dumping pans of water out his window. Rat waved from below. Good morning, Sloth, she called. My birthday's next week, said Sloth. But I don't suppose anyone will come to my party. When is it? asked Rat, hanging her towels to dry. On Tuesday, said Sloth. 
He busied himself with his empty pan and waited for Rat to answer. Everyone's invited, of course, added Sloth, and no one has to bring presents. He looked hopefully about, but Rat had gone inside. I knew it, he said. She's not coming. None of them will come to my party. He went back to his watery work inside and tried not to think of his birthday. On Tuesday morning, Sloth woke up early. The sun was shining in his eyes through the hole in the roof. It's my birthday, he said. He got up slowly and stared at himself in the broken mirror above the sink. He brushed his whiskers and smoothed his fur. I'll have a party anyway, said Sloth, just for me. He found a red balloon in his drawer next to his birthday candle and blew it up. I'll hang it from my clothesline, he said. It swung gently back and forth in the sunlight. Sloth spent the morning making a cake. He frosted it with yellow frosting and lit the candle in the center. Then he sat down by his wash tub with his serving spoon and sang happy birthday to himself. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear sloth. Happy birthday to me. He made a wish and blew out the candle. Happy birthday, sloth, shouted his friends outside. What? cried sloth. You've come to my party? He clapped his paws and held the cake in the air. I haven't bitten into it yet, he said. Wait till I get some plates. He hurried to his cupboard and brought them out. Three presents sat next to the wash tub. Presents too, cried Sloth. They're useful presents, said Armadilla. Open mine first. Sloth pulled the lavender ribbon from Armadilla's present. Inside the paper was a chair seat, a box of screws, and some glue. And that's not all, said Armadilla. I'm going to fix your chairs. You are, said Sloth. How nice of you, Armadilla. He opened Toucan's present next. Inside the big box were shingles and nails and a blue-handled hammer. I can fix my roof, said Sloth. He tapped the shingles with the hammer and shook the box of nails. I'll help you, said Toucan. We'll fix it together. Aren't you going to open my present, asked Rat. Sloth untied the string. I can't believe it, he said. It's four spoons and two bowls. Just what I needed. Let's get to work, said Toucan. Armadilla collected the chairs. He fastened and glued while Rat held the pieces together. Toucan and Sloth were pounding outside on the roof overhead. Bang, 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 tap, tap, bang. By late afternoon, the shingles were on and the door and the chairs were mended. I wouldn't recognize my house, said Sloth, spreading a tablecloth over the wash tub. It's even more cozy and comfortable than before. He lit the candle on his cake. I don't have to wish again, he said. My wish came true. What was it? asked Rat. I wished you were all here, said Sloth, and here you are. He smiled at his friends and blew out the candle. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sloth. Happy birthday to you. And happy birthday to you if it just so happens to be your birthday when you're listening to this. And if it's not, then have a very merry birthday. But since this coming weekend, we're going to be on a book retreat and we'll be doing a few recordings for our book club. I want to give everyone a teaser for one of the books that we're going to review and talk about which is The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. I know Leah had mentioned it on a previous podcast and I have since bought the book, read it. I just felt like 
I knew the characters. Like I was coming home and reading and they were my friends. I had dreams about the book. It just seemed so personable and real. It wasn't just a story. It was an encounter. I love the characters. I love the time period. This is told through the eyes of Patroclus, who's Achilles' partner. And so he goes to live with King Peleus, who takes in a lot of orphaned or exiled children. And there he meets Prince Achilles. And Prince Achilles is a half-god, his mother is a sea nymph, and so a lot of the boys hold him in high esteem. Achilles really takes a liking to Patroclus. He describes him as surprising. And so he goes to his father and says, Father, I want Patroclus to be my companion. From there on, they're together all the time. And then around the age of 16, they become lovers. And it's been this crush that's been growing from their boyhood, from admiration to respect to a yearning. But what I want to focus on, holding to our theme of birthday parties, celebrations, we're going to sit in on Achilles' 14th birthday. And at this time, he and Patroclus are up in the mountains getting trained by Chiron, the centaur. It's pretty much a dude's ranch. They're learning how to hunt, how to gather food, how to set broken bones, medicine, how to live off the land. Really useful skills. They're going to be there for a couple years. And since Achilles is a prince, his birthday is still celebrated. So palace servants are coming to him to bring gifts. Spring passed into summer and the woods grew warm and abundant, lush with game and fruit. Achilles turned 14 and messengers brought gifts for him from Peleus, his father. It was strange to see them here in their uniforms and palace colors. I watched their eyes flickering over me, over Achilles, over Chiron most of all. Gossip was dear in the palace, and these men would be received like kings when they returned. I was glad to see them shoulder their empty trunks and be gone. The gifts were welcome. New lyre strings and fresh tunics spun from the finest wool. There was a new bow as well, and arrows tipped with iron. We fingered their metal, the keen-edged points that would bring down our dinners in days to come. Some things were less useful, cloaks stiff with inlaid gold that would give the owner's presence away at fifty paces, and a jewel-studded belt, too heavy to wear for anything practical. There was a horse coat as well, thickly embroidered, meant to adorn the mount of a prince. I hope that's not for me, Chiron said, lifting an eyebrow. We tore it up for compresses and bandages and scrub cloths. The rough material was perfect for pulling up crusted dirt and food. That afternoon, we lay on the grass in front of the cave. It has been almost a year since we came, Achilles said. The breeze was cool against our skin. It does not feel so long, I answered. I was half sleepy, my eyes lost in the tilting blue of the afternoon sky. Do you miss the palace? I thought of his father's gifts, the servants and their gazes, the whispering gossip they would bring back to the palace. No, I said. I don't either, he said. I thought I might, but I don't. The days turned and the months and two years passed. On the morning of his 16th birthday, I woke early. Chiron had showed me a tree on Peleon's far slope that had figs just ripening, the first of the season. Achilles did not know of it, the centaur assured me. I watched them for days, their hard green knots swelling and darkening, growing gravid with seed, and now I would pick them for his breakfast. It wasn't my only gift. I had found a seasoned piece of ash and began to fashion it secretly, carving off its soft layers. Over nearly two months, a shape had emerged. A boy playing the lyre, head raised to the sky, mouth open as if he were singing. I had it with me now as I walked. The figs hung rich and heavy on the tree, their curved flesh pliant to my touch. Two days later and they would be too ripe. I gathered them in a carved wood bowl and bore them carefully back to the cave. 
Achilles was sitting in the clearing with Chiron, a new box from Peleus resting unopened at his feet. I saw the quick widening of his eyes as he took in the figs. He was on his feet, eagerly reaching into the bowl before I could even set it down beside him. We ate until we were stuffed, our fingers and chins sticky with sweetness. The box from Peleus held more tunics and lyre strings, and this time, for his 16th birthday, a cloak dyed with the expensive purple from the Merex's shell. It was the cape of a prince, of a future king, and I saw that it pleased him. It would look good on him, I knew, the purple seeming richer still beside the gold of his hair. Chiron, too, gave presents, a staff for hiking and a new belt knife. At last I passed him the statue. He examined it, his fingertips moving over the small marks my knife had left behind. It's you, I said, grinning foolishly. He looked up and there was bright pleasure in his eyes. I know, he said. Figs are very significant because it's really what broke the ice between Achilles and Patroclus. Patroclus had been exiled and so he was having a hard time adjusting to being around all these boys. He himself is pretty insignificant. He's not as fast as them. He's not as strong as them. He's very slight in build. And now that he's in the presence of Achilles, who is exceptional at everything he does, it creates this abrasion in Patroclus. He finds himself brooding, angry, jealous. And Achilles isn't used to those feelings. He doesn't experience things like that. He does later in life, but he does understand that Patroclus isn't fawning over him like all the other boys and vying for his friendship. That sort of piques Achilles' interest in Patroclus. So I'll just share the scene about their figs because it is cool and then I have to stop myself because I want to save it for our book club episode. These are just really small tidbits. Dinner finished and the plates were cleared. A harvest moon, full and orange, hung in the dusk beyond the dining room's windows. Yet Achilles lingered. Absently, he pushed the hair from his eyes. It had grown longer over the weeks I had been here. He reached for a bowl on the table that held figs and gathered several in his hands. With a toss of his wrist, he flicked the figs in the air, one, two, three, juggling them so lightly that their delicate skins did not bruise. He added a fourth, then a fifth. The boys hooted and clapped, more, more! The fruits flew, colors blurring so fast they seemed not to touch his hands, to tumble of their own accord. Juggling was a trick of low mummers and beggars, but he made it something else, a living pattern painted on the air so beautiful even I could not pretend disinterest. His gaze, which had been following the circling fruit, flickered to mine. I did not have time to look away before he said softly but distinctly, Catch. A fig leapt from the pattern in a graceful arc toward me. It fell into the cup of my palms, soft and slightly warm. I was aware of the boys cheering. One by one, Achilles caught the remaining fruits, returned them to the table with a performer's flourish. Except for the last, which he ate, the dark flesh parting to pink seeds under his teeth. The fruit was perfectly ripe, the juice brimming. Without thinking, I brought the one he had thrown me to my lips. Its burst of grainy sweetness filled my mouth. The skin was downy on my tongue. I loved figs once. He stood and the boys chorused their farewells. I thought he might look at me again, but he only turned and vanished back to his room on the other side of the palace. So from that moment, they're pretty much inseparable. And it was very sly of Achilles to do. It feels like he's been watching Patroclus for a long time and has cornered him and has caught him off guard. Patroclus is always sitting in this corner table alone. And so when Patroclus comes to dinner and finds that Achilles is sitting there in his table, he's a bit ruffled by that. But then Achilles quickly disarms him. And I like that sort of strategist mentality because Achilles is, after all, the best warrior. And so here he is 
ideas disarming Patroclus as if they were on the battlefield, only it's a battle of wits. Much more to come from that book, there's so much I want to say about it. This book had me at chapter one, first paragraph. Incredible. Just that page alone, the very first opening scene, you learn so much about how this book is going to make you feel. But if you're following along and participating, the books we're going to be doing for our book club episodes are The Thursday Murder Club, A Dragon's Promise, and then The Song of Achilles. All very good books. If there's something that you've written or you want to share with us or something that you'd like us to read, you can email us at gwritersanon at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook. The next time we record will be our book club episodes, but those won't be edited until mid to late May, early June. We'll catch you guys next week.